Hello, and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And being dragged along with me throughout the history of the Marvel Universe, we got Brian Zeno back. Hey, Brian, I'm what's going on? Kicking and screaming. Hey, everybody, I'm I'm back, and I am uh, I am supercharged with nerd energy. This isn't even my final form. Uh, <laughs> I uh, uh, things things are good. I, I want to tell all, all your listeners just uh, because I have to uh, brag about it a little. I will be uh, supercharging my nerd energy uh, later in March by uh, I've registered for the American Crossword Tournament. Ooh, I didn't so, know that existed. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, will Shorts, the editor of the New York Times Crossword, uh, has been putting it on every year for quite a few years. It's a whole national competition. Celebrities get involved. It's a it's a whole thing, and I will be competing. In it for the first time. This is my rookie campaign, as it were, uh, and I will be uh, there at the uh, end of March, uh, trying to uh, hold my own against other smart people, and uh, hopefully, I won't uh, embarrass myself. So, everyone listening to this podcast, think good thoughts for uh, for me as I uh, get down get down into the arena, uh, the mental arena there. Uh, yeah, well. The link to his uh, Twitter will probably be on the show notes, so yes. hopefully you'll at least put something about it on there. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> that depends on how I do. <laughs> yeah, if you don't see anything about it, don't ask. Don't ask. Don't ask. <laughs> it wasn't a good thing. Don't remind me. Anyway, that's uh, so. How you doing, Al? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, we got the show still on hiatus, but hey, this is our March special. I and feel so, so special. And so we figure we'll do a special issue or something a little different. Mm-hmm. But still related. Mm-hmm. So we are talking about today a one-shot that came out about two months ago. The Eternals Secrets from the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Which is a reprint book. It reprints backup stories from the first volume of What If, mm-hmm. number 23 to 30, going a bit into the history of the Eternals. And since Thanos is an Eternal, and this does relate to him in some ways, semi-directly, it's about his family. Figure we'll put this up to this now. We'll get a little backstory on Thanos and the Eternals of Titan and where they come from. Exactly. Because um, little little behind the scenes thing here. I've been doing some. I do some reading ahead for the show, just so when I plan out the schedule, you know, help. I know what I want to do, or you know, add, if an issue is worth adding in or subtracting from it. Mm-hmm. So I'm read past the '70s stuff, and I'm into the '80s. Or mm-hmm. as I'm calling it, as I'm cribbing from Doctor Who fandom, the wilderness years. <laughs> and so, Brian, real quick, for anyone who's not familiar with that, do you want to tell them what that refers to? Uh, the, the wilderness years in Doctor Who uh, refers to after the uh, original series was canceled after its 26th season in uh, 1989. Uh, the BBC canceled uh, the, the series. Technically, they said they put it on hiatus, but it never came back in that form. So, um, And it entered a long period of a uh, very interesting period, actually, uh, wherein the, 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 the fans almost took over the, the, the franchise, so to speak. And we got a number of officially licensed uh, uh, novels being published first by Virgin books and then later on by BBC books. Um, a number of people who went on to write for the series after it got revived in 2005 got their start writing uh, for the novels, um, including uh, Russell T. Davies, who was uh, the show the showrunner when it came back. And aside from the 
TV movie of debatable worth that was aired on Fox in 1996, starring Paul McGann and Eric Roberts. Uh, there was no new televised Doctor Who for 16 years. And that 16-year period of one TV movie, the licensed novels and uh, uh, the comics were still ongoing in the monthly magazine. Then we call those the wilderness years. Oh, and uh, Big Finish Audios <laughs> also started up in those... Uh, in that period and also gave us new uh, officially uh, sanctioned Doctor Who content. But they call those the wilderness years. Yep. And I'm cribbing that name for the period of time following the uh, Marvel 2-1 annual when Jim Starlin basically stops doing anything with the characters until he takes over Silver Surfer number 34 like in 8990 mm-hmm. and brings them back. Yeah, the eighties were the eighties were a low Warlock and Thanos era. Yeah, there's very little with them at all. So I've been reading through that to see what, if anything, is worth putting in. Okay. And all I right. got, and there's an issue of and so for a lot of them, since it's only one issue, I'm reading the issues around them just to why not read the little read the story. What the hell? I got time. So there's an issue of Avengers during Roger Stern's run. It's like two forty eight, I think, that has a Thanos like a cameo. Oh. So I was reading the, reading the issues around that, 246 to 250. And it involves Cersei and the Eternals of Earth. And mm. at this point, Eros, Star Fox, is on the team of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he doesn't know who Cersei is. Well, it makes sense. He's from Titan. It's not like they, you know, they don't chat all the time. And they she gets captured by the rest of the Eternals because she just basically she wants to party. And they want her back to form the Unimind. And she's like, nah, I'd rather have a party. And so, of course, the, some of the Avengers are at the party just because they just happen to know her. They don't even know she's an Eternal yet. See her get captured, follow, and they meet the Eternals. And they, the Eternals mention, we are the Eternals, and Star Fox says nothing. And they talk about these things, the Unimind and stuff, and Star Fox says nothing. And then, of course, like you do when you meet new people and make new friends, you tell them your whole origin and backstory and important historical stories. Yes, yes. <laughs> because that's what you do. Normally, you do that in a comic that Jim Starlin has written. So kudos to Roger Stern for respecting the origin of these characters and doing it up Starlin style. Yeah. And in fact, one of the stories we're going to cover in here is talked about. The one about how Alars and Zorus decided who's going to be the leader and Alars decides to leave. And of course, that's the one thing they talk about. The Eternals talk about is, oh, I wonder what happened to Alars. And mm-hmm. that's when Star Fox speaks up. Because apparently, up until this moment, he had no idea he was an Eternal. Interesting. And, you know, you can kind of see that. You can kind of see that. As far as he was concerned, he was just a uh, Titan. I mean, do they call, if you're from Titan, are you called a Titan? Yeah, they just call themselves the Titans. And, I mean, it also makes sense a bit back, you know, behind the scenes, considering the fact that at the time that Jim Starlin created them, they were meant to be demigods, you know, Mm -hmm. related to... Olympians. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably was, you know they were supposed to be more related to Hercules. You know they're related to the Greek gods basically. But yeah. instead, it's been you know it was afterwards changed to they are related to the they are the Eternals. I thought that was interesting, and it's not in here, but I need I I can kind of suppose where uh, their mother comes from. I'm just curious where the all the other people who are from Titan come from. It's like, are they all Eternals or are just some of them Eternals now? Because well, now I'm wondering, like, is it only like the family, like Mentor, Star, you know, Mentor, Star Fox, and Thanos that are actually Eternals and the rest of them are not? Or no, but, well, 
But we well, can get we, to that when we get yeah. through this, because there's some yeah. ideas here. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. That he did not know all this time. And I mean, who knows how old he is? He could be like, you know, 10,000 years old at this point. This is this is very true. This is very true. But we will get into that because what we have here and I'm going to start my comment on uh, Eternals Secrets from the Marvel Universe proper. I'm going to start my commentary by actually fast forwarding all the way to the end, because the last thing in this collection is an afterword written by Ralph Macchio. Yes. No, not the Karate Kid actor, the uh, Marvel uh, longtime Marvel editor who wrote one installment of this uh, scripted, I should say, according by, by his uh, account, scripted the second installment of this uh, collection of features that was otherwise scripted by the late Mark Gruenwald and by Peter B. Gillis. But um, he says he was involved in the plotting and the the um, coming uh, the the conception of the overall world building that they were doing uh, throughout the the whole process. And uh, that's something that we're going to be hitting on rather a lot as we as we sort of uh, make our way through this, uh, that they do love the world building. He says they loved world building. And Mark Gruenwald himself was really into taking all the stories that Marvel had done up until that point and trying to come up with ways to relate them and connect them to each other to make a coherent unified whole so even though we so many elements of the marvel universe were created by guys like stan lee and jack kirby and steve ditko uh in a way when we talk about the marvel universe if ralph macchio's account is to be believed and i don't see any reason why we wouldn't mark gruenwald really is the father of the Marvel Universe. And a lot of that groundwork and a lot of that elbow grease that went into uh, making the Marvel Universe an actual universe uh, is happening in these installments right here that we're reading and talking about today that were backup features in a odd little what-if alternate reality like mental exercise book that was not the most mainstream or best-selling title during its run and who these backup stories were never collected or reprinted until december 2019 so it's important to i think emphasize that these stories have been neglected and underregarded in the 40 years since they were initially created but they're significance it goes sig- seriously beyond that that the regard to which they have been subjected uh, in that time oh definitely and yeah because i mean there's this thing as it says in the afterward basically it connects like the work of kirby with the eternals starlin's cosmic stuff you know with thanos and all of that and even Ex- the x-men together exactly exactly and uh, uh i did not encounter just a little quick uh aside about my uh Uh, I had heard the concepts of the Eternals and the Celestials mentioned in various Marvel comics. Um, But until 
um, the mid 2000s, I would say, until 2005, perhaps 2007, something like that. Um, I forget exactly when it was published. I sort of because, again, I started reading Marvel uh, comics in the 1980s, which we had previously mentioned was a bit of a. Uh, wasteland for these concepts uh, a, a bit of uh, they they were not often dredged up and talked about very much in that uh, decade so most of what I knew about them came from the official handbook of the Marvel Universe the one that was published in 86 and 87 yep the additional hot move exactly as a result I when when I heard Celestials or Eternals mentioned in Marvel Comics that I had read for, for many, many years, I presume that was a catch-all term for beings like, say, Eternity or... Um, uh, the Cosmic Creek, Cosmic... Uh, yeah, you know, or, or I'm, I'm trying... The, the Living Tribunal or um, Order in Chaos, Chaos, like those yeah. those beings. I thought that was a catch-all. So I did not actually get a corrected on that until the Eternal, the seven-issue Eternals miniseries written by Neil Gaiman with art by John Romita Jr. Oh, that yeah, was published that. in 2005, 2007, which I only read because Neil Gaiman wrote it. And this yeah. is well into the 21st century when my reading habits had shifted to following writers and creators as opposed to characters or titles. So uh, I read this because Neil Gaiman wrote it, and then I had my eyes opened, and then I went back, and I need to finish reading it, but I did dip into and like read a, a, a little bit of the original 1976 Jack Kirby uh, series of The Eternals, where these, these particular concepts were first created by the great man himself. So um, I was late to this party, so to speak, but now I do have some sort of background on who they are and their their place in the Marvel universe as a whole. Yeah, basically the the, the Celestials are was Jack Kirby being inspired by reading Chariots of the Gods, Eric Van Daniken stuff. I was about yeah. to reference that exactly. Yep, which is basically the basis a lot of the basis for the theory of ancient aliens. Mm-hmm. Not the crazy, not the completely crazy theory of ancient aliens that you can find on the show Ancient Aliens, yeah. where according to that, <laughs> everything that ever happened in the history of the world is because of aliens. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not saying it's aliens, but we're but saying it's aliens. It's aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And of course, we know the reason, like you said, that this is being reprinted is because there is an Eternals movie coming out this year. Oh, there is. I had not heard that. Oh, yes, there is. As, as, I, as I mentioned in our pre-show, I'm not really as connected to the comic book world as once I was. My free time is going into a lot of other directions. So I, I'm not as plugged into comic book news and comic book happenings as I might have been, you know, a year or two ago at this time. So that said, uh, this is new, a pleasant news to me. Yes. Um, real quick for one or two of the characters that are being on there. Let's see. So, and we might as well get... Oh, and before we get to that part, though, there's also something that Ralph Macchio, before I forget, mentioned in the afterward. Mm -hmm. Because I've heard some people say about whether or not Eternals should be part of the Marvel Universe, because they said, you know, Kirby doesn't really have them in it. But there is some elements, like S.H.I.E.L.D. is in there. Mm -hmm. The robot Hulk. Yeah. And he says, um, because he's, Ralph Macchio was hired by Marvel around the time the original Eternals series was coming out, and actually worked as a proofreader and did the letter column for Eternals. And as he says in here, now he could be wrong, because the way he says exactly is, I only had the chance to speak to Mr. Kirby on the phone once about his view of the Eternals' place in the great scheme of things. 
I recall that he had imagined this series as part of the Marvel Universe, but didn't want to draw too many direct connections to it. So, if he's if his memory is to be believed, they were always supposed to be part of Marvel. He just was, I guess, trying to make like, his own little corner of it without being overtly part. Kind of like X-Men was for a long time. You know, they were definitely there, but it's not like they talked to the Avengers every other issue. No, that's that's absolutely true. And again, you know, this is these uh, issues came out, what, uh, 1980, 81, like that sort of yeah. Uh, era. So, yeah, in the 1970s, while there was definitely uh, I mean, even going back as far back as the 60s, while there was definitely a um, uh, an interconnectedness to the Marvel uh, superheroes and 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 whatnot. The idea of like the overarching Marvel universe was still a very uh, loose thing, I think. And um, the reason I and so I always sort of got it understood that when they brought Kirby back in '76 and he started doing not just the Eternals, but he also got to do. Um, Captain America and Black Panther and uh, even that uh, 2001 series that introduced uh, Aaron Stack Machine Man to the world. It was all sort of a, hey, here's some Marvel stuff. Here's one of the granddaddies of Marvel. Go to town, but we're not going to force you to play with or reference or interlock with anything else. So, yeah, they kept it deliberately vague just to let Kirby be Kirby. Yeah. So, all right, enough preamble. On to the yes. actual book. So we got yes. the cover, The Eternals, Secrets of the Marvel Universe. You got a couple of the Celestials in the background, including, I think his name is pronounced Ashram, the judge, whose head looks like a giant coffee cup. <laughs> yes. And I would really love to have a coffee cup that just looks like his head. That would, that would be awesome. Oh, dude, there's merch to be made. Yes. I mean, I hope somebody does that for the movie tie-in. And you got a couple of the main Eternals on the cover who most of them don't really appear too much in this because a lot of this is about before they were born. I was about to, I was about to say, spoiler alert, excellent cover by Todd Nock, but those specific Eternals don't really, I mean, Celestials don't really appear in this book. And as far as I can tell, the only uh, Eternals that we actually get to see who are on the cover are Icarus, Sprite, and Zurum. Uh Fina does have a Fina does brief, briefly appear okay. when they meet and, Black Bolt and Cersei, but I don't think we see Cersei at all. Uh, I think Makari does get a, a brief cameo. Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, so, anyway, um, all of them, of course, will be in the movie. Yes, except I don't think I have not seen a casting for Zorus. Well, he's he's sort of he's not the 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 Eternals generation we're concerned with. Yeah, yeah. this this is very much like. The, the the previous generation so yeah but fina will be in there uh she is played by angelina jolie interesting ajak will be in there he's the one all the way on the left side and like the aztec looking armor okay uh slight difference look he will be played by selma hayek uh, that is a slightly different look yes uh cersei will be played by Gemma chan who mm -hmm. apparently I didn't realize also was in the Captain Marvel movie. She was one of the Kree soldiers that worked with Captain Marvel in the beginning, um, Minerva. Yes, 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 I remember her. Um, I don't really know the names of a lot of the other people who are playing. Like I don't really know them as actors, uh -huh. so I can't say. And I don't see Gilgamesh in here, or who's Sprite? You know the the little girl playing Sprite. Um, I know. Kingo, who I think is the one who looks like a samurai, like right between, he's like in that little, little like yep. between um, 
Cersei and Akaris' leg. Mm-hmm. He will be played by a now completely jacked up Kamal Nanjiani. <laughs> I mean, he, if you have a chance, look at the pictures of him now. I mean, oh my God, this guy is like, is living in the gym now, apparently. Yeah. No, I think, I think now that you mention it, I didn't think I picked up on the fact that it was for the Eternals movie, but I had heard that he'd gotten cast in a superhero film. Cause I remember him basically like making fun of the notion of, you know, Hey, cause every time you get an actor and they get jacked like that for a movie role, they get like a cover feature on men's health or whatever. And they say, get his superhero body or whatever. And he's like, no, you can't have this superhero body. I had a trainer. I had movie studio money funding this lifestyle for a solid year. You can't do this. Don't even try. Yeah. And I was like, good on you for the for the for the honesty for the honesty, dude. I love that. Oh, I didn't and, I hadn't associated it with this movie, though. Yeah. And one of the person who will be in the movie, but I just find it interesting, even though they're not on the cover at all. Kit Harrington, who is apparently an actor from Game of Thrones. Yeah, apparently he was Jon Snow. I have never seen Game of Thrones. You uh, I don't have okay. HBO. Uh, well, OK. And that's fair. And. And I, I, completely, I completely understand, and I will spoil nothing except to say that um, I think you should, I think everybody should watch it just because it became such a culture-wide, uh, a, a cultural touchstone over the last decade, but um, don't get too emotionally invested because yeah. no, the ending was not worthy. But he will be playing Dane Whitman. I know that name. The Why Black Knight. Oh, oh, boy, I tell you what, those Marvel movie guys are really have some fun. Ah, anyway, we are, anyway, we are, we are, let's being, get into this. Al, Al, so, you and me are just being you and me like times 100 today, aren't we? Yes, we are. Okay, so what we're going to do is this. Since these are such short stories, I'm not yeah. going to worry about doing, dropping a synopsis for each one. We yeah. can kind of do it as we do the story. I'm just going to write real quick right here, dropping the credits for each story. So that way we full credit to the people doing it. No, that's 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 fine. And I'll probably reference that because I have a lot of uh, thoughts about the uh, writing and art. So, OK, so that goes here and then probably a promo. We will be covering the following stories from this one shot on this episode. The first Celestial Host, the first Eternals, the first Unimind, Outpost on Uranus, Cree Encounter and New Life. These stories were created by writers Mark Grunewald, Ralph Macchio, and Peter B. Gillis. Breakdowns by Ron Wilson and Rich Buckler. Finishes, Chick Stone, Alan Kupperberg, Bruce Patterson, and Joe Sinnott. Colorists were Carl Gafford, Ed Hannigan, Nell Yamatov, and Len Wein. Letters by Michael Higgins, Jack Morelli, and Tom Orszowski. Editors were Denny O'Neill, Mark Grunewald, and Tom DeFalco. The cover art, which I think we already mentioned, was by Todd Nock. Eternals, of course, created by Jack King Kirby. Okay, got a promo right here, and then back to the episode. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. 
It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. All right. So the first story, the first Celestial hosts, basically the Celestials come to Earth real quick, come to Earth Mm -hmm. for their first time, and experiment on man, experiment on, sorry, not man, experiment on the apes that are going to become man the, the primates the pre-humans as they yeah. are creating the deviants and the eternals and also leaving in the ones that are normal uh they left a latent gene right that function yeah. would happen later on and we that's focus, what happens and then they leave in 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 this issue we focus on four celestials specifically and i like that they have they're always presented as completely silent and yet they have names and i'm wondering like why they have names if they don't actually... But anyway, so we get um, Gaminon, who is the... Uh, he collects them. He selects and collects them and yeah. brings them onto the ship. A, a bunch of these proto-primate, proto-humans. And First then he gives them... in Eternals number, seven, number six. Right. And so then we get Zeron the Tester, who um, wants to test them for adaptability. He pokes and prods them and juices them with radiation and... So he makes the deviants, who then releases into the wild, and they decide to go straight downstairs for some reason into the subterranean depths of the earth, there to await the coming of the mole man. Yeah, in some <laughs> future indeterminate future time. Then we've got Nezor the Calculator, who wants to test them for durability and longevity, and pokes and prods them and juices them with radiation, and creates the Eternals. And he releases them into the wild and they go straight upstairs into the sky and fly away Superman style to some golden gleaming uh, paradise somewhere else. And, and then completely last... naked except for convenient shadows. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then finally we get Oneg the Prober, which can we just take just a moment to appreciate Oneg the Prober. <laughs> and Oneg the Prober presumably probes... Uh, pokes prods and what he does is he takes the remaining ones and just gives them as you pointed out a, a, a minute or so ago he points he gives them a latent gene they get released back into the wild just as they were pretty much except for this ticking time bomb inside them which many 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 millennia hence will turn them into x-men yes or something so basically <laughs> either that and or me i wonder if maybe does that gene, like, over the millennia change? Like, some people get the X gene, and some people it just leaves them the ability to be changed, a la mm-hmm. Spider-Man in the Fantastic Four. That could be. That could like, be. I was wondering, like, does that, do they not need anything at all and could just be changed by when they get bitten by a radioactive spider or hit by cosmic rays? Or 
is that latent gene there enough that like it help you know makes that so they don't die when they get bit by the radioactive spider? That could be, and there's a lot of a lot of wiggle room there if you want to talk about it that way. A lot of uh, a lot of places that you can go like they the nice thing about the way that Gruenwald and Machio and whoever else had a hand in the uh, design of this cosmology uh, one of the nice things that they did in turning it into stories here in what if was they gave us a they filled in a lot of material but didn't fill in so many of the spaces, so many of the blank spaces that we didn't have, that we were left with nowhere to go, that everything was locked down to within an inch of its life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's the it's the broad strokes of it. Right. And I like that. I like that. Yeah. That was a smart approach. Um, one quick uh, note uh, before uh, if before if we're going to uh, zoom no, along jump. to the next installment. But the one last thing I really want to uh, make a note here of the art in this installment by Ron Wilson and Chick Stone. And Ron Wilson provides the bulk of the pencils for the stories in this collection. Chick Stone, who I believe was the uh, was the anchor on, if not the first, at least several of the first issues of Fantastic Four. So he's one of the longest serving uh, Marvel anchors at this point in history. I want to say you're right. Um, but uh, he was definitely an anchor on those early, 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 early Marvel early, early Fantastic Four issues. But anyway, my point is he does a really great, dare I say, Joe Sinnott-esque job of inking Ron Wilson's decidedly Kirby-esque pencils. I understand that we are working off of designs, celestial designs that were innovated by Kirby uh, in the 70s. But at the same time, the spaceship and and the celestial's machinery inside the spaceship is similarly Kirby-esque in its design. Kudos to them for that, uh, for those touches. And um, the two things I really want to point out just real quick. One, when all of the Celestials are marching out of the spaceship in the two-page spread, there's a way of... Back in the days before computer coloring, before, you know, this modern age of, of groovy, you know, like technological art, art creation, um, there was a way of doing metal. Like when you had a metal body, I'm thinking specifically of guys like Iron Man or the Transformers, the art in, uh, on those where you, you, you did the line work and the shadowing and the, the shapes uh, in a certain way that read to the eye as reflective metal even though if you actually glare at it for a nice long time and you try and figure it out you're like why does that read as reflective metal i can't figure it out but (laughs) they do it here and i hadn't seen it in a while and it just it does take me back i used to love i i remember noticing that when i was a kid reading comic books and thinking that's how they do metal huh cool um so there's that and my favorite panel is on uh page five of this story um, when uh, Zeron the tester is reaching towards one, the, 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 the prone primate that he has hooked up to his machine. The and that is panel, the, yeah. And that is the one, the, the size of his hand compared to the primate, that is the one panel where you really do, more than any other in this little uh, vignette, more than any other, you really do get full force 
the scale of the of these celestial beings and i think that was a just very cool and that's probably my favorite panel yeah that is pretty epic look that's very very that's a kind of kirby influence too i can see that there yeah yeah for sure um so real quick before we go on from this one so zero the tester first appears in the eternals number 18 nezer the calculator in eternals number nine and now we really don't see him in the panels here they really don't, mm-hmm. you don't see him, but from what I read, he is a dark. He has a uh, dark blue armor. So when you go back to that spread on two and three, we see all the celestials marking marching out. You still that's don't probably, see him. <laughs> that's probably his arm on right. the right hand side. But you never see his head. So. No, but that's him. And then Oneg the Prover. Who, uh-huh. when I was looking up stuff on the celestials, the only thing they have to say about him is that people like to have, have fun with his name. <laughs> <laughs> understandably, understandably. First appeared in Eternals number nine, and I looked up real quick. So according to Wikipedia, take that as you will, uh, Chick Stone, it said, began inking industry legend Jack Kirby's pencils on Fantastic Four. It says issues 28 to 38 in Annual 2. He also inked Kirby on early issues of X-Men and the feature and on Thor in Journey into Mystery. So he might not have been in Marvel in the very, very, very beginning, but he was there pretty much from the beginning. I, I still think he might have been. But I think the thing is, before, like, I think the first year or so of Marvel, at least on those early Fantastic Four issues, and I think the first issue or two of Incredible Hulk, too, um, and even when, Journey, when uh, Thor appeared in Journey into Mystery, I don't think... Um, they were crediting inkers yet. I think we were just getting, you know, like they weren't even getting proper credits per se. You were just getting Stanley and Jack Kirby sort of signing the splash page. That's also so, possible too. So, but either way, I'd say yeah. he still was there. I mean, unless you want to get, unless he wasn't on those first year and you want to be super nitpicky, <laughs> even if he started at Fantastic Four 28, I'm saying, I'm counting that as he was there from the beginning. Absolutely. That's pretty much the beginning. Absolutely. Okay, next story. The first Eternals. So, yeah, the Eternals have come. They create their city of... Tit- What's that called again? Titanos? Yes. Yeah. Which which is an interesting choice of, of, of name. Okay, so... Yeah. We are introduced to our two leaders, basically. Kronos and Uranus. Kronos is basically the peaceful guy. Uranus is warlike. We get an Eternal Civil War. A lot of them die. Uh, Uranus loses, and his, him and his people are banished off the planet. And then years later, Kronos is doing an experiment in cosmic energy. It, quote-unquote, kills him, or at least his physical body, but he becomes a cosmic being. And it actually gives full eternal life to the Eternals. So I guess before that, they were just long-lived. Yeah, that's... as of this point, they are eternal. Yeah, that, that was an interesting thing because I had been – because the Eternals had been le- had been created by Nezar the Calculator's experiments into their durability and longevity, um, uh, yeah, I suppose he had given them just very long life because I – that makes sense actually because Kronos was seeking to isolate – like not just generic cosmic energy he was seeking to isolate specifically the unique cosmic energy that makes them superior to the rest of the humanoids on the planet earth and he was curious uh like so he was looking specifically for that celestial imbued if you'll pardon the term x factor that's what he was trying to isolate so if if nezar the calculator's experiments had given them just super long life 
that would have been the the unknown thing, unknown to Kronos and, and the rest. That would have been the unknown thing that he was seeking to isolate. And by isolating it and then losing control of it and having it um, uh, explode the way it did, yeah, that would have only that would have only perhaps intensified the uh, effect. Yeah. Now, this, of course, is the Kronos we have talked about previously. He is the quote-unquote god, I guess you could say, to the Eternals on Titan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he is the one who created Drax the Destroyer. Yes, yes, and I do re- I do recall all that. So that takes us back to the inception of the Starlin verse back in the early seventies, uh, pre Eternals. Um, so here's where we start to fold the later Eternals concept into the earlier cosmic Marvel concepts that had not yet been tied into it. Here is where we sort of put them together. And it was it just me, or did you get kind of a Cain and Abel vibe from Kronos and Uranus? That actually, I did not. Um, now that you mention it, that is a that is a very very um, good uh, example. But what I was getting off of this more than anything was a Silmarillion vibe. Um, oh yeah, because if you think back to the cosmology and the uh, creation myth that Tolkien created for. Uh, his Middle Earth, his entire, you know, uh, secondary world. That one, now obviously, uh, Tolkien being a lifelong uh, practicing Catholic, um, he imbued, he drew all of that uh, influence for his cosmology and his mythology from his Catholic worldview. Um, But he had um, Eru the One, the the, the God-creator figure, and his Valar, his... um, uh, uh, angels who uh, were helping him in the act of creation, and one of them got ambitious and wanted to dominate, wanted to usurp the place of the creator and and dominate and create and rule for himself, and thus began conflict, which ruined the initial paradise. And when you put it that way, I mean, obviously, Tolkien was riffing on the creation myths from the Bible, uh, where you had the war in heaven, Lucifer, the morning star, you know, got uppity and rebelled against the, the Lord and was cast out from heaven. And I'm sure those are not the only two creation myths that contain those overarching archetypes. But when I was reading this, you're right, Cain and Abel's definitely a strong uh, 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 met- metaphor for what's going on here. But for me, I was thinking uh, God and Lucifer or uh, Eru and uh, Morgoth. That's a good one. Melkor, rather, Melkor uh, from the Silmarillion. Uh, those, were, those were my sort of touchstones or reference points for when I was reading this. But it, it really is a strong ancient myth it's 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 a solid mythology that you could read this and say yes this is the creation myth of the marvel universe and the similarity one works because isn't it that was morgoth that's the guy right that's the name uh he later he later called himself morgoth like if i recall correctly at the time that he was a an angel a, a valar he was known as melkor and he did not take the name morgoth until he had been cast out taken up corporeal residence on Middle Earth and uh, started, you know, creating all the various evils of Middle Earth. And because of him, we get Sauron eventually. Yes. And because of Uranus, we'll get Thanos eventually. Yes, exactly, exactly. Not exactly the same, but close enough, because if it wasn't for Uranus, 
I don't think we would have Thanos. Correct. As we'll see Correct. later on, he would not have been born probably. Possibly. But yeah, so so they have the giant war. I like, I mean, it is forever the thing. They are uh, the the vanquished, the vanquished, despite not renouncing their thirst for domination and uh, 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 conquest, um, they are not killed or otherwise destroyed. They are merely banished. Yes, and from the earth. And there's no way that can come back and bite anyone on the ass. Nope, that'll be fine. Everything will be good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. So And it's funny, though, because I love that, okay, so we have that very mythic thing, and then we end the last page and the whole thing about Kronos getting blown up and cast into the cosmic void. He's basically a mad scientist getting hoist on his own petard, and that is such a comic book Marvel element to throw into this creation myth. I kind of like it. Yeah. It's fun. And it gives yeah. us, like I said, but it works out for him because he's like, hey, I get to be a cosmic being. I get to know everything I wanted to know. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. happy. <laughs> All right. So next up, we have the first Unimind. Yes. So, yeah, we get Zurus and Alars, who are the mm-hmm. eldest sons of Kronos. They're mm-hmm. born after that civil war. Mm-hmm. And with them, after basically at Kronos's funeral ceremony, they form the first Unimind with all the Eternals. And it is decided that Zurus is the one who will lead. And because they don't want to have a similar war like their father and, as we learned in here, his brother Uranus did, mm-hmm. Alars, who we will know later on as mentor, leaves Earth to avoid having a battle. Right. Now, I did not pick up on, until the very end when he left, um, Alars left, I did not pick up on the fact that that was... Mentor. I know Mentor well from the issues of Captain Marvel that we had done from all of the Thanos and Titan stuff that we have, you and I have previously done for the purposes of this podcast. So I know Mentor quite well, I feel like, and I did not pick up on until much later on, uh, until close to the end of this chapter, that Alaris was, in fact, Mentor as a, as a youth, as yeah. a ute. As a ute. Two utes. Is it possible to two utes? Uh, uh, to what? Uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. Yes. Yeah, and well, we see them on playing their father's back, the two utes. Yeah, two utes. Um, but now, consider what- he goes gray. How long ago was this? And if he also, lives forever. And here's the other interesting thing is he lives forever and he goes gray. But later on in this in this collection, um, in the later uh, chapters involving the Inhumans, which are set in the 1950s, Earth 1950s, Black Bolt and the Inhumans encounter Zuras and the um, Eternals. And Zuras is still has the, the the full head of flaming red hair. He has not gone gray. But so he does look older. The, okay, but he well is does he or does he has he just grown the beard? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at his face and I, it looks like there's some lines to it or something. I could be okay. wrong. That could be. That could be. But anyway, what I did like about this chapter is, um, and this oh, is un. I'm sorry. Yes, you were. Gonna I was going to say. say I got it though. Think about it. Who does Zurus has of his kids? He's got like, you know, I, well, I forget if they're his kids or not, but I think it's like Thena is his daughter. Mm-hmm. So he's got it good. Yeah. Who does Mentor have? He's this got Thanos. Fair. Of course Thanos. he went gray. And Eros. 
who has his own set of problems. And yeah, raising those two. He's like, of course he's great. Yes. <laughs> Parenting stress. But what I really did like about this, uh, this chapter was, and this is unusually subtle, I guess, for comic book storytelling uh, of this era, um, which was maturing. We've, uh, if, if I think back to our most excellent comic book ages uh, podcast that you and I did with John Wilson and Blaine Dowler, by this, the, the early 80s, comic book storytelling was maturing greatly, not just in the subject matter, but also in the way the stories were told. So I shouldn't harp too hard on how unusual this level of subtlety was, but it's still worth remarking upon. The fact is, is that Alars and Zorus are not just a Kronos um, and Uranus Mark II. Um, they do make a uh, point on the last page of saying uh, Alaris, as he flies away, as he banishes himself to, to somewhere else, he says, I know now that our uh, programs for posterity are far too dissimilar to peacefully coexist, Zoras. So to prevent the disunity we swore to Kronos we would avoid, I shall take my leave of you all. But even though he's acknowledging that they have basically what he's saying is fundamental ideological differences, those fundamental ideological differences are not as simplistic or brute force as Kronos is for peace, Uranus is for war, therefore they shall fight. You know what I'm saying? It's like that was a much broader and more primitive ideological divide. Here you have two men who they say, hey, we can't, we're not going to peacefully coexist. And yet they're both still presented as basically good guys, decent guys. Yeah. Just with, and that is an unusually subtle point to be made, I think, in this context. So I just wanted to point that out. No, and it does make sense. I mean, earlier with Kronos and Uranus, it was very much the beginning of their civilization. So basically it's just like, well, which way are we going to go? Are we going to just you know conquer the world or are we going to try and uh, be peaceful with it? Mm-hmm. You know, once that's been established, then now all of a sudden now you have all the, well, what version of peaceful are we going to do? Just like if Uranus had won, it'd be like, you know, there'd still be conflict, you know, with men. But it's like, we should go raise over everything at once. No, no, no. We should take a piece at a time and make sure we have a fully control before we go again. No, mm-hmm. no, let's just raise ahead and start attacking everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it makes sense as the civilization goes on, the problems of the civilization will get more and more complex and subtle because... It's all the various shades of gray of that particular area. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the last thing I will say about this uh, this this chapter before we move on is the Unimind is not a concept I had encountered before because I hadn't read that far into Kirby's Eternals. But I do, uh, I sort of get the idea of what it is from this uh, chapter. And I love that it basically kind of gets created kind of by accident almost. It's like, hey, we're just flying. We're doing the joyous ritual flying thing that we do on special occasions. And just on this occasion, it happens to result in the Unimind. What? Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently, I know it's a little weird, too, but apparently it's it's a side effect of the experiment. Ah, okay. Or, you know, that gives them eternal life. And considering the fact that it just happened, you yeah. know, it's not like it's like 200 years after he died. It's like, you know, two hours. Right, right. So at least that kind of fits. It, it is a little like... Wait, what? You're just gonna? Okay, I guess I guess that's what we're doing. We're just flying in a circle, and why are they not flying though? That's the weird thing. It's like, why did Zerus and Elars just hang out watching? Why didn't they fly, leading it, going? This is for our father. We're gonna lead it. It's like, no, mm-hmm. we're just gonna hang out and chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like I said before, if Uranus 
if they didn't have the fat, if they didn't have that fight with Uranus, if he had been peaceful with his brother, Kronos would not have been worried about it, and therefore Alars never would have left. Mm-hmm. Right? No, true. So therefore, true. potentially we might not have had Thanos, depending on where the mother comes from. But that's for another story. One last thought that I had on uh, this particular on the first first Unimind is how we get. When Kronos shows up, and I do not know if this is deliberate on the part of Mark Gruenwald, the scripter of this chapter, or if it is something I'm just seeing patterns, um, like the Eighth Doctor said in the aforementioned 1996 Fox TV Doctor Who movie. I love humans always seeing patterns in things that aren't there. <laughs> um, but uh, So maybe that's what I'm doing here, just being a human in that way. But when Kronos turns up and gives his last speech here to his two eldest sons and fills them in basically on what's happened and why it basically does this not remind you strongly of one of those tight really well done recaps that starlin used to do all the time in captain marvel oh yeah you remember how like we'd always get like that sort of here's how we got here and they would be like these sort of like really tight, fast paced, psychedelic summations, like complete with like really dramatic facial expressions and stuff like this. And this just reminded me of one of those very strongly. I could see that. And given the and given who we're discussing here, Kronos and Alars and all that, I can't and and Gruenwald's how connected Gruenwald felt to all of the, the totality of, of the Marvel Universe and the various threads that he was trying to pull, pull together here, I can't help but think that he was uh, uh, maybe Possibly. This is a deliberate homage here to that. I could see that. And one last thing I'm thinking of, I really love the panel. It's when he's talking to them. Mm-hmm. It's the Let's see, it's what page of the story. It's pa- the bottom right, the bottom last panel on page two, mm-hmm. where he's playing horsey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just very amused by very rarely do. You, I mean, not always, especially since most of them don't have kids. And usually what happens with the kids is they either get killed or all of a sudden they get taken away and turned into adults. Mm-hmm. You don't get to see them playing with the kids much that you would most parents. I mean, you sometimes see Reed and Sue in the Fantastic Four playing with Franklin. Yeah. But that's it. Like, we never really got to see Cyclops playing around with his son. To be fair, his son was way too young for that. And then he turned into Cable. Right, right, right. So, no, no, you know. but you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Um, given the importance of parental relationships to so many of the characters in the Marvel universe, it is worth noting how rarely we get to see scenes of actual parenting going on in the in these stories. Although we have also no idea who their mother is, she has no that bearing on the story at all. There is that no is mother. Although that is another thing that has changed in our glorious, the the new golden age we find ourselves in, because I'm thinking one of the comics, recent comics that I have enjoyed very greatly was all about parenting, basically. And that was uh, Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. Oh, yeah, that definitely has both parents, at least. You know, that both parents and the kid and the stories are centered on them being parents to Annie. And I loved that book. And I don't think those are unrelated uh, facts. No. All right, we're going to now move on to the next one. Just a quick note before we go on with the episode. Brian and I ran out of time before, so we had to stop our recording and record the rest of this episode about a week or two later. Unfortunately, we had a little bit of technical problems, and when I say we, I mean me, 
and instead of being able to record this with my microphone like I usually do, I had to use Skype on my phone. Didn't come out bad, it's fine, but you can tell there's a difference in how my voice sounds from before and after. So just want to give you a heads up and let you know. Okay, well since we're paused here anyway, let's put in a promo and then we'll get back to the episode. Evolution is a constant, even for the world's greatest superheroes. Founding members have departed, new members have stepped in to fill the ranks, and their final memories of Happy Harbor are of a stunning betrayal and the loss of their secret sanctuary. But there is only one place to go for the Justice League of America, as they march into the Bronze Age of Comics, straight up! More precisely, 22,300 miles up above the Earth. Welcome to a bold new era for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast. Your host, Mike Peacock, invites you to make yourself comfortable for over 100 issues and their very first annual with the League as they enter the much-beloved satellite era. Here's a brief sampling of the thrills and chills that await your podcast catcher. A veritable who's who of new members, such as the Elongated Man, Red Tornado, Zatanna, and Firestorm. Surprise membership returns. More epic team-ups with the Justice Society of America, along with appearances by the Legion of Superheroes, the All-Star Squadron, the New Gods, and even a combination of the DC Universe's greatest heroes of history. A galaxy of superstar writers such as Denny O'Neill, Len Wein, Steve Englehart, and Jerry Conway. The longest artistic run in the book's history by the astonishing Dick Dillon, along with contributions by Neil Adams, Don Heck, George Tusca, Rich Buckler, and George Perez. All this and more surprises and excitement await you in this new phase of Justice's First Dawn. Come along with Television's Era Certified Super Friends at classicjla.podbean.com or subscribe to the show via iTunes. Oh yeah, and there's the debut of Ultra. Yay! So now next up, we got Outpost on Uranus. Now, <laughs> yes, yes, we're five. But here's the thing. Do we say, I'm get the sense that it the place draws its name from the fact that it was quote unquote discovered well it wasn't discovered we'll get into that but this is a planet in our solar system that on which landed the bunch of eternals led by uranus 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 and i know that there is some like people who view a less juvenile and uh, alternate pronunciation of the planet's name as Uranus. So for purposes of our discussion here, do we go with Uranus or Uranus for the, uh, for the, for the, for the planet? Here's what we're going to do. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have, I just realized something. So look, look on that. It says outpost on U-R-A-N-U-S. Mm-hmm. Even though it's, Obviously, that word is the let. If you take away the U-R, it is that word. Yes. Let's go with the other pronunciation of A and go Uranus. Uranus, okay. However, Mm -hmm. look at his name. Yes. U-R-A-N-O-S. Right, which my my instinct is to say Uranus or Uranus. Uranus. But he's also a jerk. Right. So let's call him Uranus. 
Uranus. Uh, I like it. I like it. Okay. Okay. We will. The planet's we will in- cool. Let's be cool. The planet. Let's be cool with the planet. Let's be. Let's be a, ju- a, a jerk to the jerk. Exactly. Okay. I'm for this. All right. Cool. So, so let's start over again. Outpost on <laughs> Uranus. Uranus. Yes. Uranus. Okay. So and they they've been they've been. Um, not jellified they've been they've been plasmified plasmified and they are just this sort of pink streak zooming through the solar system and somehow they uh get pulled into the uh gravitational pull of uranus and well yeah they kind of forced it they're able to get enough control to push themselves into it it's interesting because they they find this city okay that's that's its own mystery and we'll get to that but when they land they sort of pop apart and like regain their corporeal forms and it's a bit of a interesting moment because you can sort of see it like ah and they all sort of fly apart but they were in a way it's interesting because they were almost pulling a unimind thing of their own even though they weren't there for the first unimind because they were still yeah oh that's true yeah they weren't there for the first unimind but they they were kind of forced together so Right, right. So that is a thing that Eternals apparently do. Interesting. So, yes. you know, descend, it's, it's, descend. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, at first I'm looking at this we're going, wow, that's a really crappy punishment that I mean, you send them out of the space forever, but they didn't even get past the solar system. Right, right. But yeah. it was also the first time these guys probably the Eternals did that. So I can cut them a little slack for not knowing what they were doing. Yeah, no, it's it's still, you know, like a uh, uh, criminal justice fail. You kind of uh, it's like sentencing someone to like maximum security prison and they break out before the end of the first week. It's like, <laughs> actually, it's, it's like it's actually I like that, but it's like it's like sends them maximum security prison and they escape on the way to the bus. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like you really aren't good at this, are you? But it's OK, like they didn't get there. <laughs> yes, you did not even. But you didn't imprison. Anyway, uh, so so the the this bunch of eternal ne'er do wells is um, is uh, now on Uranus inside this domed city that that where did it come from what is it who has a uh, um space travel already yes and so a Cree century yes now so there they 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 go in there and oh look you are look where we are we are in this strange city blah 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 now already we've got this uh this dude um astron who does not appear to approve or like uh, Uranus and his war-making ways very much. So I do find myself throughout this little mini epic that were uh, that 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 ends the Eternals portion of this one shot. I did find myself wondering repeatedly how Astron like found himself part of this group that got that lost the war, got convicted, and got exiled. Like, because he doesn't seem down with any of it. Yeah, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, similar things. Like, um, I don't know if you ever read the Secret Origins issue of The Origin of the Fandom Stranger. No. No, I did uh, not. There's, um, it was actually pretty cool, because they have four different creative teams, and there's four different stories, each one telling the origin of the Phantom Stranger. And they're all different. Interesting. So you don't know which one it is. And in one of them, basically, he's an angel and he's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's at the it's the fall of Satan and everything, you know, the, right, the right. rebellion in heaven. And he's just kind of there. And he's like, 
uh, you know, am I really, uh, I don't know. And he ends up kind of getting, you know, by association in the fact that his dithering gets kicked off with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when he let, you know, and the thing about the, him is that like when he lands in hell with them, they're like, get the hell out of here. You're not one of us. Right. Right. But I'm wondering if it's something similar. It's like, these are his friends and he's there. It's like, all right, let's, yeah. It's like, ah, maybe I, sh-, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if I should have done this. You know, is this the right thing? Maybe I don't know that the guy's size, right? I get the sense. I mean, obviously they, 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 they started him, his whole like little line here as a character in order to generate some conflict within the exile group. And I'm fine with that. That's a good narrative instinct. But at the same time, I got the sense that we were supposed to find Astron like a sympathetic figure, like someone for the reader to kind of root for against the villain uh, Uranus. And, um, I don't know, like I, I was having trouble getting there to me. I was reading him the entire time as one of those like really simpering assholes in every rebellion story. There's one of them. It's a trope, you know, where the bad guys lose and there's always one guy who's like, don't punish me. It was him. It was him all along. Don't, don't, uh, don't lump me in with them. And that's the kind of vibe I'm getting from Astron. So it's like. I get the sense I'm supposed to be kind of rooting for him, but I'm not. I kind of think he's like, 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 come on, dude, own it. If you're going to do it, own it. Stop being such a jerk. I can go with that a bit. Although there are a few things he says where like when they're fighting the sentries, like we should be trying to communicate with it. So it does kind of imply at least that maybe he started like that, but maybe he's starting to think. Maybe. And you know what? You're right in that I'm getting there by reading an awful lot into it. But you do mention the sentry. They find a sentry there one yes. of the Cree sentries and it is uh still active even though it's probably been there for millions of years um it makes you realize how old are the Cree and the scrolls well that's that's always oh no 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 you said it wrong you said it wrong if there's one thing i have learned from reading this one shot it is that they are not the Cree. they are the star spanning Cree. oh yeah yeah, yeah, you gotta gotta call them that. Apparently, you can't just say the Cray. But you know, what I mean, like if these are like early Eternals still, and we're talking mm-hmm. like twenty, thirty, forty thousand years ago, maybe, and the Cree mm-hmm. already had centuries all over. Mm-hmm. No, it absolutely. Kind of, it kind of makes you realize then, and like I remember reading. Do you remember Operation Galactic Storm? Yes, yes, I do. And the whole thing about the supreme intelligence of the Kree detonating the Nega bomb and killing like 90% of the Kree in the galaxy in the hopes that the remaining ones would have like some kind of evolutionary effect on them to advance them because they've been stagnant. And at first you're like, dude, that's a little crazy. Like, okay, so what? You you guys have been like stable for a while and that's it. But then you realize, wait, this is how the Kree were that long ago? Maybe. Yeah. I guess I can see his point then. Like if they've been like, look, it's been like 3 million years and we have not evolved. Right, right. No, absolutely. And and it now makes me want to um, go back and reread. I haven't. It, it, it's been a good long while, so it's maybe time for a reread. But go back and reread the uh, the great Kree Scroll War, obviously, like not just for the enjoyment of reading it, but also I do not remember if that sense of sheer ancientness of of just sheer like you know how many millions of years 
have these guys been around and doing what they're doing in that particular narrative as well. It makes me like wonder. And of course, when I wonder something, I go back and I reread it. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It makes you, yeah, it makes me wonder, like, did they really explain to us how old these people are? Because maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe just maybe because I know the, 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 the century and by extension, the Cree and Ronan, the accuser and all that, like those were all uh, spun out of um, Fantastic Four, the Kirby Lee Kirby's mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. Great. All, so many good concepts came out of there. But I know that one of the things that this one shot, as we've mentioned before in this episode, one of the things that this one shot is attempting successfully to accomplish is backfilling that history, is taking these ideas that were ex- introduced and used previously and giving them a sort of unified backstory and a sort of uh, cosmology, a history that we can uh, use going forward. So a lot of this stuff that we sit there and we think, oh, the Kree have been around for millions of years. But I'm curious to know if, in fact, this is where that piece of knowledge comes from or if it predates this. That's true. I mean, I don't know exactly how... Yeah, I don't remember from the Kree Scroll War, and I read that less than a year ago. But I don't remember if they actually went into like how old. We just know it's right. older than our civilization, but exactly that could just yeah. be like by two thousand years. Resu- this obviously implies longer. So that's why you listen to us, people. Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Your home, not just for Marvel history, but Marvel historiography. Ooh. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. But yeah, so they fight the sentry, and yes. five of them die killing it. Okay. And that also kind of would give a reason why the, this career is so much older, because how are the Fantastic Four able mm-hmm. to destroy a sentry without dying? Mm-hmm. But like ten, like 12 Eternals can't kill it without a couple of them dying. But it would make sense if, let's say, the sentry is, you know, a million years younger than the one that the uh, Fantastic Four faced. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be some wear and tear on it. There's got to be some accounting for age. I mean, now we're really sort of looking into the science of it. The fact is, okay, he's in a domed uh, structure, so protected from entropy on some level. But on the flip side, only if there's no or very little air, which would make the uh, continued living of this bunch of, let's face it, they may be Eternals, but they're still Earth creatures— um, the, the continued living of these earth creatures rather, I don't know. It doesn't, th- let's just, let's just agree not to look too deeply into that part yeah. of it. But that is one thing to remember. These are Eternals mm-hmm. who are not actually eternal. They were gone before they, Cronus did his old little experiment and made them mortal. So they're long lived and they're powerful, but if they went back to earth, they probably definitely get their asses kicked. Because a fair point. They were not there for the explosion of the uh, cosmic energy exactly. test tube. Yeah, so, good point. Excellent. So they are weaker Eternals. Okay. So anyway, but yeah, so the little, this little part ends with the Sentry uh, being destroyed and the Kree being notified that there's a problem. Yeah, love that. Love that. Because it's so funny because I, I actually do kind of like this because Uranus is such a a like mindless vi- like conquest villain he's just like might makes right 
I am the strongest. We have conquered. Look at how cool we are. We claim this planet in the name of blah, 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 right? And oh, it's exactly. like, but he keeps actually losing. He keeps like being an idiot and tripping like, like alarm wires and losing to Kronos. And it's like, for all that he continues to see himself as this like world beating supervillain, he actually really sucks at this. And I would just like, like, I love that later on, like Thanos is going to come along and be like Uranus Mark two, but he's going to be so much better at this than Uranus. Yeah. He's one of those villains. Like I, it's, you know, even though it's a villain I like, he's like the master of the world. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, you say you're the master of the world, but Puck keeps kicking your ass every single time. Right, exactly. So, you know, not saying you're not a threat, but you're not as cool as you think you are, dude. Yeah, exactly. I'm not I'm not really. So now you've got um, Astron and his lady friend, um, who I cannot find her name, so... Uh, do I have her name here somewhere? Oh, you're in the next one. You're now we're in Kree encounter. I, I, yep, yep. I sort of yep. moved it along, and that's cool. Uh, Kree encounter. Uh, I can't find her name, but she is his. She is his love and his lady love and his special friend. His special friend, and she like wants him to not like piss off Uranus because she's scared of them. And we just want to. Can't we just you know live in peace and blah blah? And again, now I'm wondering how she wound up with this bunch of. Uh, these don't seem like you know hardened rebels and all that yeah i kind of almost get the like i said i kind of get the idea of like almost like neighbors mm-hmm. like neighbors and friends and they all got convinced to do it been the you know like you go with your friends along with your friends and some things but you're like eh, okay well, yeah we'll go that's fine okay i don't really want to go to this restaurant but we'll go to the restaurant i'll deal right exactly exactly so i don't really want to have this rebellion and kill but eh, okay fine we'll have the rebellion whatever so i really like this chapter of the epic though because again it's just it's Uranus continually just getting like spanked by his own arrogance. And I just, I can't get enough of this. So oh, yeah, he, it's, it's so awesome. He, he just is so stupid. So, oh, and she finds the quantum bands. Yes, yes, she does. And that's cool. So, but for me, my favorite part is like Uranus bullies everybody. Like he's like, we reign supreme. We kick this alien civilization's ass. Clearly there's no one in the universe cooler than we are. So now we're, I'm going to make you all build a spaceship. That's going to take us back to earth. And as you have recently pointed out here, there would not, they would not even be able to hang on earth, but they build this spaceship. And meanwhile, the whole Kree fleet just like comes and, like I know, I'm I'm skipping over a lot of details, and yeah. we can like sort of go back and backfill. This is a quick. Story. Some of these stories are quicker, so that's fine. And we can go back and backfill, but I'm just like the overall arc here just tickles me no end because it's just when this m- giant numberless Cree fleet turns up to sort of punish the upstart ne'er do wells who dared to destroy their one century. Like, and Uranus is just like so overmatched and just such. So he's just such a bumbling idiot for a villain. And I just cannot stop being, I cannot stop being entertained by this. Oh yeah. Even at the end. I mean, like you said, it is like a numberless fleet. There's at least 20 or 30 ships after their one. Right. The Kree show up at the same time. They finish making their spaceship. They take off and it's like, Oh my God, there's a whole bunch of ships after us. You know, it's like, we can try and loot them. We can duck behind the planet's atmosphere. It's like, no, we shall stay and fight, turn around and boom. Yeah, it's like you moron. Yeah, yeah, like you could escape, 
but no, no, you're still got you, Uranus going to Uranus, and yeah, and it winds up with him getting like, uh, like well, at least in the cliffhanger panel at the end of this, he uh, completely uh, uh, gets blown up, but or does he? But here's my my other favorite bit here is that uh, the little bit of like nice rebels who split themselves off and stay behind. And it's like, why? Like, I'm still trying to figure out how they got mixed up with this bunch because they just seem like not at all like villainous rebels. But eh, what do I what do I know? I'm not an eternal or whatever they were called before they were eternal. Yeah. So they stay there. So I guess they are supposed to be the basis for the people who live on your on your uranus mm-hmm. because i believe that is where marvel boy from the 50s who had the quantum bands before quasar ah, went and yes. got the quantum bands i i can see that and you know what and and that's and that's very cool because that is exactly the sort of detail that mr uber canon geek uh gruenwald would have been incorporating into his uh mythos here i mean that's the thing i love the most about all of this is like i said at the outset of the episode this is just gruenwald getting to go all silmarillion on the marvel universe and he is clearly clearly just like flailing about in it he is clearly just like making snow angels in all of this material and that joy of canon creation sort of comes across on the page and I, I i really did i really have been enjoying reading this the whole time and that's why yeah this was fun so anyway so we leave that story off with uranos getting his ass kicked yes yay, yay. and there was much rejoicing <laughs> and there was much rejoicing now we go to the next uh chapter new life which is the climactic conclusion of the mini saga and they are they their ship has been blown up but somehow they are all intact and floating in space the hard still pretty tough i mean remember they're not eternal eternals but i mean they were still Mm -hmm. pretty damn powerful and strong right right but the hardy superhumans drift on the brink of oblivion a figure stirs it is enveloped within a cocoon of air molecules, and I'm curious as to like how that happened. So they take uh, yeah. instinct. I don't know. Let's go with luck, <laughs> luck, or or something. Pseudoscience, Marvel pseudoscience. Yeah. So the Kree who just blew up the ship, they take one of the, uh, they use the Magno scoop. <laughs> Gotta that's love some, some of these names. That's some fifty. That's some awesome fifties B movie shit right there. I'll tell you exactly. What. Um, they use the Magno scoop to uh, take one of the survivors aboard. Well, he's not really a survivor. I mean, like they said, they were pretty much dead. So I guess we can just go with the fact that he's dead. Okay. Probably, also, with fifties sci-fi, they're, if you notice that when they pick him on board, so mm-hmm. the crew are on their own ship. Mm-hmm. Why are they wearing spacesuits? That's true. That's true. The Kree were very, very fungible because you look at them in Fantastic Four and then you look at them in the original late 60s Captain Marvel. And then you look at them in the Kree Skrull War and now you look at them here and it's like it's interesting that the Kree's form. The Kree are a little bit like the Klingons of Star Trek where Mm. their physical manifestation like they keep coming back and they're still who they are, 
but they always look a little different. Like they're always designed just a little differently. You know, it's also another thing I was thinking of, and maybe it's uh, current events affecting my thinking. Mm-hmm. But if you notice, usually when we see the Kree, it's the warriors, it's the army, it's mm-hmm. the fighters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're running around barely wearing just a uniform, half their body hanging out, punching, kicking things, blowing mm-hmm. up, not caring. Mm-hmm. These are the scientists. They're all covered. Like, I just wrote something. They have an alien creature for the first time that they're, they're t- going near. They're completely sealed up. It's like all the posts I'm seeing now where people are, you know, people are saying, why is everyone being so surprised about washing your hands for the mm-hmm. whole coronavirus? Like, people are like, are you people not been washing your hands this whole time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of makes me think about that. Like, the sci- these are the scientists. There's a new alien, alien creature near us. Okay, well, let's make sure we're covered up so we're protected. We don't know what kind of alien spores or things they have on them. Meanwhile, you got like Ronan the Accuser and Captain Marvel and all these other warrior guys just beaming down the planets they'd never been to before going, ah, just spit on my hand. It'll be fine. Clean that off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, it's like, yeah, like, yeah we're, we're just, again, just don't look too closely at it. Just don't, don't, don't. So this, no, I love this bit uh, on the, uh, I love this bit on the third page of the, uh, of the, of this, of this chapter. Uh, the woman named Shastra, she discovers that, oh, they're still alive, barely. So she links their hands gravimetrically. And all I could think of when I was reading this is hands, touching hands, touching <laughs> no, that's hands. how you spread it. Well, and so I'm just sitting here thinking uh, I'm now renaming her from Shastra. She is now Sweet Caroline, Caroline the uh, Eternal. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. See, oh, I was thinking God. I went right to uh, Barrel of Monkeys from Iron Man Three. Oh yes, yes, yes. That's good too. I like that too. So they uh, they they float down uh, to a uninhabited quote unquote world, which is in fact a moon of Saturn, has a breathable atmosphere. Um, so they take sanctuary, and finally, finally, Uranus is humbled. I failed us all. Now you finally figured that out, dude. Jeez, there's it only a, took you getting your ass kicked like three separate times. There's only six of you left. Yeah. They uh, they they quickly discover that their entire future, basically, in about 30 seconds, they like, we have somewhere to live. We have raw materials. We've studied the aliens' mechanisms. We shall build our own, blah, blah, blah. So they, they name the world Titan. And, and they are clearly the progenitors of Mentor and uh, uh, Thanos and Eros slash Star Fox, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are their ancestors. Sort of. Well, remember, Mentor is. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Zorus's brother. So we saw Mentor already. So I'm curious as to how he wound up on Titan and if he came into conflict. Is that is that a story that's told elsewhere? It is sold elsewhere. I'll have to find where that is. We'll have to get to that because, I mean, it doesn't go further than this. But at least I just the origin origin of Titan. No, because you're 100%. Now I remember. You're right. It's, it didn't take me long to forget. But you're absolutely right. I completely forgot about the um, uh, those those uh, that Mentor was one of the original Earth Eternal, so to speak. So you're right. So when he wound up on Titan, there must have been some st- conflict and therefore story there. Interesting. Yeah, it also makes you realize that, except for Mentor, Star Fox, and uh, Thanos, none of the rest of them are are uh, the Eternals like we think of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's no one true. else on there can be, because, and even that makes you wonder, like, are is uh, Star Fox and Thanos, like, you know, are they full Eternals? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
can you be a half eternal or if your parent, you know, like, or, or if there's enough eternal, you know, if you're one of your parents is eternal, that's enough to make you an eternal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, anyway, that's, that's for another time. And, and really, as it turns out, that kind of ends the portion of this one shot that is of relevance to us in this podcast, uh, because from there we, we end the uh, we end the this particular chapter and the mini saga with a rundown of how the Kree take the their uh, Earth prisoner back to uh, Hala and learn about him and then the. Uh, Clues in the great intelligence to the existence of Earth and the creatures there, and they go there and they do their uh, whatnot that uh, ultimately many millennia hence will result in the Inhumans, and then the rest of the one shot is all about the in are uh, the, the Inhuman royal family that we know and love from the Fantastic Four, Black Bolt and Et Al, uh, interacting with uh, the Eternals we know and love from the Jack Kirby series, uh, Icaros and uh, all of Pink. them. Yeah, so I for and this is all like interesting stuff. It takes place in the fifties, and it sort of lets us know how the Great Refuge came to be. And I'm, it's like that's all cool, but that's nothing to do with Thanos no. or his no, uh, storyline. No, not that I'm aware of. It only has something to do. It um, just has the Eternals and the fact that the Eternals meet the uh, Inhumans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of like the Jetsons and the Flintstones. Right, and you know, like that is a cool moment. I kind of, you know, it's all very cool. But again, it's also like, well, that's there's nothing really here like to read it, enjoy it, but nothing really here to tie it into any of our overarching themes such as they are. No, I did enjoy it enough when I read it, you know, when I first picked this book up and read it. But I was a little disappointed. I was hoping for at least another story or two with Mm -hmm. the old Eternals. Right, right. You know, since we had two stories, they did two more stories. One is showing them starting the civilization on uh, Uranus and the other one showing them starting Titan. Hmm. But, oh well. Oh well. Before we get to the ending of the episode, let's cover our feedback. This time we're doing feedback for episode 109, Emails and Outtakes 2019. On Facebook, the post about the episode was liked and shared by Chris Armstrong, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Mike Peacock, Hal Jordan, Gene Hendricks, Bill Baer, Jesse Starcher, and Caleb Alexander McKenzie. On Twitter... It was retweeted and liked by Comics in the Golden Age, John M. Wilson, The Daily Rios, Radelich and Broadcasting, Connor McKenna, Last Sons of Krypton, Viet Huynh, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Into the Night, Ghostwriter Podcast, David Finn, Mr. Podcast-A-Lot, Tim Price, The Podcrasher, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, The Lesser Half of Mary with Comics, Trucker Talk, and Jason Snick Venable. Now I'm going to try and thank a few more of the people who follow our Tumblr page, and let's see if I can get through saying these names. Danaru, Black Marvel 1, Nerd Gear Lab, Walter 3951 Stuff, and Just Ass All Day. Wow. I was actually able to say most of those pretty easily. You guys are slacking. Alright, well, if you want to hear your name said here, because who doesn't like hearing their name, or if you have comments or anything that you want us to Read and respond to. Got a couple options. You can send us an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Or you can like and share or comment on Facebook. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box. We're one of the first things that pops up. On Twitter, we are at Adam Thanos Pod. 
And of course, you can always leave an iTunes review, because that would rock. And don't forget, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective is basically a loose network of like-minded podcasters who just want to network in the most traditional sense. Help each other with ideas, crossovers, potential guest appearances. So if you like this show, there's going to be a link in the show notes for The Collective. You can see our other shows there, see if there's anything you like. And of course, we're going to be playing a promo for one of The Collective shows right now. Hey there, everyone. I'd like to tell you about the YouTube channel I Am Your Target Demographic. If you're a fan of comics, we have plenty that you'll enjoy over there, including a series called Heroes Like Us that explores comic characters of all sorts of different identities. And we even have a series that defines words that are used in nerd culture that you may not know what they mean. So you can check us out by heading to YouTube and searching I Am Your Target Demographic or look up IAYTD on any social media outlet. But anyway, fun, fun little, uh, fun little uh, bit of uh, like I keep saying, this is myth making. This is this is taking already extent. That was Gruenwald's gift. I mean, Gruenwald was a good storyteller, and of course, you know, we love him for his Captain America run and his uh, Squadron Supreme, and uh, also, you know, his all the good that he did as an editor. But that said. This is where you get the sense that this was Gru's real sort of this, this was where he was at his grueiest, like when he got to take all the old uh, threads that had been made but were laid sort of scattered around the creative landscape of Marvel's products. And he got to weave them into this gorgeous tapestry of myth and history and he he really is like the daddy of the of the Marvel universe as we think about it, and I love it, loved it. Oh, I yeah. really oh. enjoyed that aspect of reading this. Oh yeah, and the fact yeah, like they all made all these things, and he's one of the main people who put them all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he couldn't have done it without what they did. I mean, we can't say like, oh, Stan and Jack did nothing. Obviously, they did. They created no. all of it. Exactly. But he took all the p. He took all the parts and basically, you know, they made all the Legos. He built used the Legos to build a house. It's 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 a little it's a little bit like uh, if 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 I can uh, go on a weird weird tangent here. It's go right this, ahead. Okay, um, so I have recently rediscovered the not very. I don't think they are they are thought of very often these days. But I've recently rediscovered the '80s band Talk Talk, famous uh, basically for their one hit uh, "It's My Life" that was uh, covered by No Doubt some oh. years ago. But anyway, they were they they started out as a synth pop band and got super artsy as as they had a few successful singles and they got, you know, the the sort of control over their creativity that having some success will give a a musical band. Um Talk Talk and really the 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 main guy in it, Mark Hollis, they got very artsy towards the end of their existence in the late 80s and they did an album that is very well remembered these days by their few remaining fans um in about 88 called the spirit of eden and and i'm about to explain why i'm telling you all this because how that was created and this drove the record company nuts they 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 this is they're like this is not what we signed up for and <laughs> hollis was just like well screw you i want to do it anyway um what he did was he basically spent a really long time getting like dozens of musicians to come in like horn players and and guitar players and this that and the other thing and he had them come in and he just recorded hundreds and hundreds of hours of them improvising and making sort of disparate threads of music in and of themselves 
And then this being about 1988, uh, I think it was 1988, 88 or 89, he, um, he used what at the time we would view from today's perspective as very primitive, but at the time, like sort of very new digital recording and digital editing technology to assemble, to take bits, the best bits that he liked out of all of this raw material and assemble it into a finished musical product, into finished songs, or at least maybe pieces. Uh, they, they aren't very songy in, in a lot of ways. But my point being, that's a little bit like what Gruenwald is doing here. Um, it, just in the course of making picture book magazines in the 60s for the kids, so to speak, Stanley and Jack Kirby made these like like dozens and hundreds of issues of ideas and stories and threads of creativity. And what Gru is doing here, as much as he's being a, a writer, he's also being an editor. And as we know, he's one of the all-time greats as far as Marvel editors go. He's mm. taking those disparate bits of creative raw material that serve their own purpose and pulling them together into a finished whole that looks like something you would want to that that looks intended looks intentional and i think that's pretty friggin awesome yeah if you uh read the afterword by ralph macchio mm -hmm. he says in here <clears throat> mark g and his father myron published omniverse under his alternative under his alternative press imprint its function was to show that all fictional universes from edgar rice burroughs Pellucidar. Thank you. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce that. I was like, oh crap. Yeah, the Pellucidar, the world inside the world. Oh, that's like the oh, that's what that is. Yeah, it's it's it was fun stuff. Burroughs, Burroughs. If you can get past Burroughs' retrograde ideas that stemmed from him writing in like the first couple of decades of the twentieth century, like just the sheer boundless creativity of his of his pulpy writing is super awesome. Okay. But anyway, so yeah, its function was to show that all fictional its function was to show that all fictional universes, from that to Tolkien's Middle Earth to Robert E. Howard's Hyborian Age, were all part of one omniverse, an all-inclusive, overreaching reality. Mm -hmm. So, like that's he's that was obviously his thing. Well, and he that's was doing it. that from the beginning. Yeah, and that's and that is some really that is some really fun stuff because um, it reminds me a little bit of uh, what Philip Jose Farmer did with the Wald Newton family, mm -hmm. which which I'm sure you're familiar with because I, that was one of the big inspirations for Warren Ellis's Planetary, and but that whole thing where he took like all the Doc Savage and uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dracula and the Lone Ranger and all of these sort of like pulpy sci-fi fantasy adventure heroes that were their own thing. And he like sort of made this framework in which they were all part of this same world. And uh, because of the, 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 the meteor crash or whatever his backstory was, oh, but I really, right, yeah, but it, but it was really kind of interesting. And that's a, another thread that perhaps, you know, if you're, if our listeners are interested, they can dive down that rabbit hole. The Wold Newton family idea uh, come up, that was come up with by Philip Jose Farmer. I'll probably put a link to that in the show notes. That's, that's, why, that's why I said that. <laughs> and then, of course, more in specific for this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and also in the afterword. Let's see. Here we go. That brings us to the stories in this invaluable volume. 
Here, Mark G and I intended to integrate further these utterly original Kirby concepts in a series of brief, though noteworthy, tales. We also studied the work of Jim Starlin and his many contributions to the cosmic side of the Marvel Universe, such as Warlock and Thanos. Woo! The first few tales we were printing here show that Thanos' father, Alars, was actually an Eternal, brother of Zorus himself, which made his son, the Mad Titan, an Eternal as well, though one possessing a malignant, deviant gene. Well, I'm not sure how we got there, but okay. We'll, we'll go with it. Well, I guess that's supposed to be why Thanos is purple with the chin. Well, yeah, but I like I I didn't see anything in this that sort of that indicated how like the deviants were a completely separate strain. How like it's not like Ura, uh, Uranus and his bunch had any connection to or contact with that that separate deviant strain. Well, so I'm just I'm I'm gonna just take Ralph's word for that one. Yeah, there's got to be a reason why he looks that like that. Yeah. I mean, all the other Eternals look the same, and then you got like purple with the scroll chin and you're like dude yeah yeah exactly heck (laughs) i know it's been said elsewhere too i believe i'm I'm pretty sure it's been said elsewhere but at least this is one place i know it's been said by somebody who's involved i mean Mm -hmm. granted not starlin but so of course if starlin ever said something different we're like okay but i mean starlin went with this because remember originally in the captain marvel story they were descended from demigods like they were related to hercules yeah 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 and now, but then later on, Starlin goes with, okay, they're Eternals. Yeah, it works. It works. So I guess he was cool with it, obviously. Well, because this is really good stuff. If I was Starlin, I'd be cool with it, too. Yeah. Although it does amuse me in that issue of Avengers. I think it's like 247 where Star Fox finds out he's an Eternal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you think, you know, Dad, you could have mentioned this. Well, this was this was in the years before 23 and Me, so... Yeah. Can you imagine what that would make of these people? Oh, God. <laughs> I just think it's a good thing he didn't. He and Cersei didn't try to hook up first. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that would have stopped him, but that's a separate uh, issue. Actually, to be fair, we don't even know how related him and Cersei are, besides that's being been, the same race. I mean, that's true. Maybe and it would have been a good idea. I mean, is anyone, no one seems to have a problem with Medusa and Black Bolt, and I think they're cousins. <laughs> that royalty's always like that. We don't have enough jeans here for you royals. We're scraping the bottomless barrel. <laughs> anyway, so good stuff, anyway. my friend. Good stuff. So that was it for Eternal Secrets from the Marvel Universe, which I'm sure they only published because there is an Eternals movie coming out but I, and, this year. But I have to say, reading this kind of made me definitely more invigorated for the movie. Oh, me too. Me too. And and also to go back and encounter, like I said, read this has inspired me to go re- reread uh, Kirby's uh, Eternals, original Eternals run collected in two trade paperbacks. Uh, go reread the Kree Scroll War. Uh, check out Neil Gaiman's uh, early 2000s take on the Eternals as well, uh, which was very fun in which I mentioned, as I mentioned at the top, was my first uh, exposure to the concept of the Eternals and the Celestials. Yeah, I read. I mean, I read the other ones before that, but I also the, the gaming one's great. And I'm probably gonna do a reread of those things not too long before the movie comes out, just to yeah. have Eternals concepts fresh in my head. So when something just pops up, I'm like, oh, they got that from there. Exactly. I'm. I, that's what I'm thinking. That's the that's the reading uh, the reading uh, agenda for 2020. Anyway. All right. Well, since we're getting to the end, Brian, anything you want to tell people? Um, not. I mean, I remain. Uh, Pretty much exclusively your sidekick, uh, your your happy sidekick. You're in terms an internet of a, hermit. 
Yes, in terms of uh, podcasting. But uh, if uh, people uh, like my ramblings, uh, feel free to visit me on Twitter at uh, at Kid Chiron, link on the uh link on the show post page mm-hmm. um uh where you can uh, see me uh my my thoughts on quality pro wrestling and music and uh baseball and all the other various nerderies that interest and obsess me all right well that's it for this time folks we'll be back next month with something with something yes <laughs> see you next time bye Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Yes. So let's get back to it. So we were we finished the first Unimind. Right. So we were starting in on the little mini epic, out, which starts with Outpost on Uranus. Yes. <laughs> which I'm such a five year old. Yeah. Yeah. We can like we can actually riff on that a little uh, when we when we start in on it proper. Okay. Well, let's might as well do that now. Okay. Okay. All right.